Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Oh, what a morning. What a morning. Halloween was a success. Passed out some candy. Did trick-or-treating in the neighborhood. Went to our friend's neighborhood. Trick-or-treated there. Got all the candy. It's a good time. And on top of it, I sit here this morning in the glorious game studios. With the producer extraordinaire, knowing that I not only crushed her, but everyone else involved in our Halloween candy draft. And I glance over to the board and I go, Raymond, you're a champion. You're a champion. Woo. I mean, when I look at the board, and I have Hershey's Minis, I have Kit Kat, I have Tootsie Rolls, Starburst, Milky Ways, and Nerds. And I go, now look at Matthew. Snickers, peanut butter M&Ms, three Musketeers. And you're like, Matthew's got a really good team. And then he goes, Dots and Milk Duds. And you go, you lost me, bud. You lost me. The things I figured, it's just peanut M&Ms, because they now have peanut butter M&Ms. He has just the peanut M&Ms, not peanut butter. Which peanut M&Ms are delicious. Yes, they're better than peanut butter M&Ms. But 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 the dots. I dots killed me. Dots dots is the killer. Dots is the killer for Matthew. Then you look at five names. Reese's, such a flex, such a good move. Got that with the second overall pick. Laffy Taffy, that's strong. But then you lost me with the preferred candy of 86-year-old grandmas from Ohio, Charleston Chews. I was like, third round? Charleston Chews? That's not, that's not a great value, five names. Not great value. No one was going to be vying for the Charleston Chews. No one. Only you. That's every single parade I've ever done throughout high school was going to the, the Walgreens right next to the the Salmon High School for us to like line up for a parade. My stepmom would go over there, buy two boxes of Charleston shoes, and she would have them in her bag to walk with us for the entire parade. So I had those to eat. They were yummy. But but then you 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 bounce back, you recover with Twizzlers. Yeah. Okay. Can't go wrong with that. Got Twizzlers at the house last night with the kiddo. But then you make two bold decisions. Avant-garde. You're like, I'm going to have the most unique draft of the four of us. So I felt like what you did there. You went with Krabby Patty, even though, even though, even though there were still nerds in Milky Way on the board and Smarties, you went with Krabby Patty, which was a bold move. And then you, you you went with caramel apples. Yeah. Which we made fun of the other day. But you decided to go with caramel apples as your sixth of the Halloween candy draft. Mm-hmm. 
It's a bold strategy. It's a bold strategy. I appreciate your boldness. Thank you. Thank you very much. But then you go with donut. Skittles right off the bat. That's a good move. It's a good move. Airheads, Twix, M&M's, Smarties, and then he goes with candy corn. He had me until the last two. Had me. Now, I feel like some of you have a few better rounds than yours truly. But I got it from top to bottom. I have consistency from top to bottom. I don't have a dots thrown in there like Matthew did. I don't have a Charleston Chews or a Krabby Patty like you did. And I don't have Smarties candy corn back-to-back like mesh. I think maybe you guys are a little bit more top-heavy than I am. But I think from top to bottom, I had the best draft. Just saying. So we have the good QB, but you have the better tight end and kicker. I got the better team. (laughs) That's right. You may, as Foot would say, y'all may have one of your little MVPs. I don't have one of those. I got I got maybe like a second-tier quarterback on my team, but I got a great offensive line and wide receivers and running backs. I'm not sure the Milky Way. Like, mm. Y'all hate on the Milky Way. Y'all hate on the Milky Way. Yeah. Y'all, y'all y- y- hate on the Milky Way. You can't hate on the Milky Way. I couldn't, it's wa- okay. I couldn't the believe the Milky Way was still there. Really? No. Nah, I mean, there's some other. First of all, dots were taken before Milky Way. And what's left on our stack? Let's see what we got left. Let's see what wasn't selected by the four of us. Black licorice. Why would I want? Ooh, no. That's worse than candy corn. Tootsie Pops were left. Dum Dums. Blow Pops. My daughter's not going to be happy with any of this because she's a big lollipop. Sweet tarts, ooh, probably should have had those picked up. That feels like that's a that's a mistake. Dark chocolate, caramel, popcorn balls, sugar babies, lemon heads were not selected. Heath bar, which a lot of people really like, and I'm not quite for sure why. Exactly. Gummy bears, sour wa- warheads. I made fun because Miguez tried to pick Halloween cheese balls, and then he decided to go with something else. Kevin's favorite candy, Almond Joy, was not selected. It was not. Sorry, Kev. Sour Patch Kids. See, there's. I've already read off like five or six of them. Whoppers, Crackle, that should have been selected over some of the ones that were. But it's a good fantasy draft. Of course, you could watch the draft unfold. Someone put together... Quite the amusing video production. I know who that was. She's great. <laughs> yes, she's great. We have a new intern. Um, <laughs> uh, you can go check that out on our social media accounts. And then also vote. It's a little bonus poll question. We posted that uh, last night. So yep. go let us know. We had fun with it. We had a good time. Miguez nearly broke the board, which yeah. we anticipated. And which y'all don't see on the on the uh, the videotape is James trying to say that oh maybe I would uh, I, I would trade you you this and then I would also trade you a, a second round draft pick next year for the Reese's I said uh no sir <laughs> as he's already trying to trade as if it's a keeper draft 
Like, come on, dude. It's a fan dynasty. It's, it's okay. It's a candy draft. Calm down, you maniac. But no, go check that out and go vote on that. We'll uh, obviously we have that shared on our social media profile. So, yes, had fun yesterday. Had fun Halloween. Got all the goodies. Got all the candy, and then we got to have some unexpected sports to digest. Expected Game Three of the World Series last night. It did not happen because of bad weather, uh, a severe rain in Philadelphia. So that means the World Series has now been bumped a day. Game three will be tonight. Astros, Phillies, Game three of the World Series. You can listen to every pitch, clutch hit, and thrilling moment of Game three right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Astro launch will begin at 630. First pitch is set for 703. You can listen to it all live right here on the game. Weather forecast is supposed to be clear skies. But what this means now is that the World Series has been bumped today. Games three, game three will be tonight. Game four, Wednesday night. Game five will be Thursday night. Friday will now be a travel day. Friday will now become a travel day. And games six and seven, if needed, will be Saturday, game six, Sunday, game seven. So game three will be tonight. So it's Halloween. The World Series gets delayed by a day. You still had Monday night football. It did not go well for Joe Burrow and company. No Jamar Chase because he's out with that injury. He's going to be out at least five to six weeks, which could be a huge factor for this team. Since he got humbled 32 to 13 by the Cleveland Browns, who with the win improved to three and five on the season. They smashed Cincinnati right in the mouth, and the Bengals had no answer. None. None. They go up 11 nothing early. Nick Chubb touchdown run of three yards, and he got the two-point conversion. Added a Cade York 55-yard field goal, and just like that, 11 nothing Browns off and running. Then Jacoby Brissett scores a touchdown run in the third quarter. Then Brissett completes a four-yard touchdown pass to Amari Cooper. And just like that, it's 25 nothing. Woof. Bengals couldn't do anything. Offensively, they couldn't do anything. Miles Garrett in the Browns pass rush just beat up Joe all night long. They were able to get two touchdowns there in the fourth quarter, a 13-yard touchdown from Joe to Tyler Boyd, and then a 41-yard touchdown from Joe to T. Higgins late in this ball game, But Nick Chubb added his second touchdown run of the night also in the fourth quarter to keep the distance in the 32-13 win. Cincinnati was only able to muster 229 yards of offense. That's it. Cleveland held the ball 36 minutes to only Cincinnati having it for 23. First downs 24-15. I mean, 
they dominated every part of this. Now, would having Jamar Chase have helped in this ballgame? Sure. As we've talked about before, that connection is special between Joe and Jamar. Not having him takes away one of their weapons. But the bigger thing for Cincinnati and something that's been there all season long is the offensive line is still not fixed despite the Bengals trying to address it in the offseason. Joe was sacked five times, hit far more last night. Only three for 232 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. So those numbers would probably be over 300 yards if you had Jamar out there. Probably. But Jacoby Brissett had a better game. Threw for nearly 300 yards, 17 of 22. Touchdown, no picks, was only sacked twice. QBR of 81. Joe Burrow's QBR was 17. A lot of it has to do with play calling. I've kind of hinted at this about the Bengals and how they're constructed. Joe's going to have to... Joe's going to have to do it all. It's just that there's no way. The other problem for for the Bengals is fundamentally is that they can't run the football very well. They're not good at running the football. 36 yards last night total on the ground. Only carried the ball 10 times. Now, part of that was because of ball control by the Browns. They went up early, so they made the Bengals one-dimensional. And then on top of it, they don't have Jamar Chase. But Joe Mixon, eight carries for 27 yards, isn't going to get the job done. Chubb, meanwhile, had 101 yards on the ground. Two touchdowns. That gets the job done. Cincinnati can't run the football, which in turn puts more pressure on Joe Burrow in the passing offense to get the job done. And the offensive line is not built for that. That's your problem. They can't run the football anymore. The play calling has become somewhat suspect. They can't run the football, which makes them one-dimensional, which allows defenses just to put bracket coverage back there. And last night, they didn't have Jamar. So one less threat for Cleveland's defense to worry about, hey, not an issue. We can handle that. And that's what they did. Now, Joe got his touchdowns in the fourth quarter, but by that time, it was too late. This game was out of hand. Browns, 32 to 13. That was an absolute whooping. Joe had two turnovers, the interception and the fumble. And they just couldn't stop the pass rush. Miles Garrett had a sack and a half last night. He just feasted on the Bengals offensive line. And once again, Joe holds on to the ball a little too long. That's something that we've talked about. I think everyone can admit to. Joe does hold on to the ball a little bit long. He's got what I call that that Ben Roethlisberger in him where Ben would just hold on to the ball because he knew he was tough enough to take it and he tried to make a play. He wasn't scared. Joe's not scared. 
So Joe will stay in there and he'll be like, I'm going to hold on to it until my guy gets open. And then I'm going to throw it. And I know I'm going to get hit and I'm going to get crushed. That's part of it. But the Bengals don't run the football very well. They don't run block. They don't pass block. And now you got Jamar Chase hurt. Not a recipe for success. 32-13 Browns winners over the Bengals on Monday Night Football. We got to take a timeout. When we come back here on this joyous edition of RP3 and Company as we open up the month of November. Hey now, somebody's birthday is right around the corner. It's yours. No, it's not the producer of Chardonnay. It's yours out there listening. <laughs> we'll talk a little New Orleans Saints football. That's going to be next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Bikes, brews, and omelets, too, returns this weekend. You can enjoy some of the best cycling in South Louisiana and finish the day with food, beers, live music, and a ton of fun. Hey, that sounds nice. Register now at latrail.org. That's latrail.org. There is a variety of routes ranging from 10 to 100 miles. Saturday's path explores St. Martin Parish and ends up at Taunt Marie with some hot gumbo. Sunday starts and finishes there in Abbeville just in time for the giant omelet celebration. If you're interested in taking part in bikes, brews, and omelets too, this coming weekend, go sign up today at latrail.org. That's latrail.org. Browns beat up on Joe Burrow and the Bengals last night. They improved to three and five. Bengals fall to four and four as that concludes this week of the NFL. Next week, well, it's here. We're already counting it down. And the Saints, they get an extra day because it's going to be Monday night football for them inside the Caesar Superdome against the Baltimore Ravens. Lamar Jackson. He is dynamic. He is versatile. He is a great quarterback, both with his arm and his leg. And he's the type of guy that typically gives the Saints problems. But they are coming off a win, their most impressive win of the season. Defense held the Raiders to a NFL season low 183 yards. Pitched a shutout. Peyton Turner got involved. Tyron Matthew got involved. They did so without... Still, some of their offensive weapons and did so without Marshawn Lattimore. So a lot to be happy about if you're the Saints. But Lamar and the Ravens, they're going to present some challenges. Not to mention, yesterday the news breaks that Roquan Smith, one of the best linebackers in the NFL, has been traded from the Bears to, wait for it, the Baltimore Ravens. <laughs> Bears are doing their fire sale is what they're doing. They're collecting as many picks as they can 
to do the massive rebuild. They're going to have $100 million under the salary cap as well next offseason. So they're clearing the decks to build around Justin Fields. Uh, hopefully they're going to spend money on offensive play calling and the offensive line for the fighting Jim Gonzalez. So Smith has now been added to the roster for the Ravens defense to help turn it around because their defense has not been very good this year. As for the Saints, you can see improvements throughout this season, in particular with the offensive line. We've talked about that. Cesar Ruiz, who looked like he should be put on the struggle bus and sent out of town, he has made huge strides this season under the tutelage of Doug Marone and Zach Streif. You can tell there's a big difference there with him. The light bulb has finally started to go off. And that right side of the line is kind of filthy for the Saints. Ram check at right tackle, Ruiz at right guard. And Dennis Allen talked about how well the offensive line has been performing. Yeah, look, I, 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 huge. Um, you know, it's hard to run the ball the way we've been able to run the ball unless your offensive line is playing effectively. There's a lot of elements that go into it, you know, but um, but I do think that our offensive line has, has been playing, playing pretty well. Um, you know, we, we've done a pretty good job of, of run block and we've done a pretty good job of uh, protecting for the quarterback, you know, and, and I, I just feel like, you know, generally when you're in a little bit of a groove offensively, um, you know, all those things kind of start up front. No different than defensively. When, when we get in a groove defensively, it's generally led by the way that our front plays. So that's um, really how our team's kind of been built. You know, along both lines of scrimmage, and 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 I thought, I thought both sides, you know, uh, affected the game yesterday. O line is also <clears throat> starting to develop some chemistry. They had the, the battle in camp between the first round pick Penning and Hurst to be the left tackle. Penning gets hurt, and then they just have to go with Hurst. But it took a little while. Look, the offensive line wasn't very good early on, but has made progress. Week after week, and you can really tell that the group is starting to develop some chemistry. Even Andres Pete has played better, which I can't believe I'm actually saying that. He's actually played better. Now he still struggles in pass protection because he's pond water, but it seems like the chemistry is there. And Ryan Ramchek, one of the best right tackles in the NFL, who just so happens to start for the black and gold, talked about the team's chemistry across the O line. I mean, I think it's getting stronger and stronger each week. Um, you know, as we move forward and, and we keep going over these game plans, there's a lot of stuff that we've seen before, and it's just clicking with everyone. It's clicking with the entire line, um, all making sense to us. And, um, you know, when we can be fully confident in, in our plan and go out there and execute the way we've been executing, um, you know, it's tough for a defense to, to try to dial something up and, and get us. But... Um, I think the chemistry is continuing to grow. I think it's been, um, I think it's it's been it's been really good so far this year. You're you're starting to see it, and, and look, how much difference does coaching make, right? We've seen what Doug Marone and Zach Streif have been able to do with Caesar, and that's had a domino effect because now that's not a weak point across the offensive line. Now you have a good. Not great, but good center in McCoy. Ruiz is developing into a good right guard. Ramchek's great at right tackle. 
Well, then they kind of feed off each other, right? Now, the left side is a little still not great. Hurst is just okay. Andres Pete is just okay. You would like that side of the line to be better, but you can tell as a unit overall, they're improving. And part of that, Ramchek says, is the way Andy Dalton plays quarterback has helped them out as well. I think he's done a, a phenomenal job. You know, he's, um, you know, he's been in this league a long time and he knows what he's doing. He's a good leader. And, um, you know, sometimes if we don't see a certain thing, he does um, and he can get us out of something or into something. And um, you know, I think he's done a, done a really good job at, at that. I think that's where Dalton has an advantage over Jameis. It's not competitiveness. It's not fire or love for the team because you still see Jameis cheer on his guys, fire him up in pregame on the sidelines. It, it, Dalton's been around the block long enough where he does recognize when the blitz is coming. He does recognize when the defense is kind of faking them, trying to fake them out with their how they're defending them. So he can see that and he can make that change. Now, Dalton doesn't have the arm talent of Jameis. He can't throw the ball down the field like Jameis can. But it's those kind of wildly veteran things that Dalton has that's probably helped this offense a little bit. I think that's a fair assessment there about the Saints. So the O-line's improving. But another thing that uh, stood out in Sunday's win over the Raiders was the run defense, you know, it had been gashed. It was not there for most of the season. They shut down one of the best running backs in the league and Josh Jacobs, made him a non-factor, and they looked like the Saints defense of old that shut down the run. And D.A. was asked, what was the difference? What led to that improved run defense? Well, look, I, you know, what led to the improved play is I think we, that, you know, um, I feel like we, we – you know, we had a couple of days to kind of get refreshed a little bit, um, you know, and, and I think we played with better pad level. Uh, I think our fundamentals and technique were better in this game. Yeah, so you asked me about a head scratcher in terms of, you know, run defense. Yeah, certainly um, I don't think that we stopped the run as well up front, you know, as we have in, in, in years past. And then I think some of the, you know, leaky yardage and tackling, you know, affected that too. So, uh, but you know, really the focus is, is is to try to continue to improve and to continue to get better. I thought we did that this past week, and, you know, hopefully we'll be able to continue to do that. They'll have their work cut out for them because Lamar Jackson and that offense presents its own set of problems. That's not Derek Carr back there in the pocket. It's a guy that can run for 45 yards in a heartbeat and can also kill you with a 55-yard touchdown pass. That's what makes Lamar so dangerous because he's really good at both things. He is. That makes him dangerous, and he's tough to bring down. Saints, Ravens, Monday night. Hey, go and mark it on your calendars. You want to watch the game? You want to get ready for the game, geared up for the game? Then go hang out with our guys, Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh, because they're going to be broadcasting live from Twin Peaks on Johnston on Monday nights, 4 to 6. 
They're going to be out there. They're going to be having a good time. You can come out and join them. And, of course, then enjoy the teeth-chattering beverages on tap, the great appetizers, burgers, wings, and everything else that Twin Peaks has to offer. Crunch time with Miguez and Mesh, live from Twin Peaks next Monday, just in time for Monday Night Football between the Saints and the Ravens. Got to make sure to go check that out. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up. We'll shift from the NFL to Joe Burrow's old team, the LSU Tigers. It's Bama week. Top 25 matchup. Feels good to say that when these two teams meet, when they're both good. We'll talk about it next right now. Ooh, I'm going to sing because I still won the draft. You like that? I still feel good about my candy draft. I'm just saying. Of course, foot will be critical of all four of us because no one drafted Almond Joy. Just go ahead and prepare for that. There we go. And my response to Kevin would be, well, if you would have stuck around, you could have been part of it. Boom. And then Almond Joy would have been the first one off the board. Boom. We got to take a timeout. LSU talk coming up right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Sign up right now for the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com so you can score tickets, gift certificates, and more. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Uh, here in Louisiana, there are thousands of miles of utility lines and gas pipelines buried just beneath the surface. And look, sometimes multiple lines are in one area, and you don't even know it. Look, if you or a contractor is digging a fence to put in, digging a hole rather, to put in a new fence, whether that's privacy or chain link, a brand new pool, a shed, it really doesn't matter because you run the risk of hitting an underground line by digging only a few inches. So what happens then? Maybe only knock the power out for your entire neighborhood, but sometimes there's an explosion with injuries and even death. It happens every single year, and there's a very simple way to avoid it. Before you dig, call 811. Call 811 two days before you dig. Tell the operator your address, and someone's going to come out there and mark the location of buried lines so you or your contractor can avoid them. It's simple, it's free, and it's the law. Louisiana 811 operates 811 as a public service. And to promote public safety, Louisiana 811 and the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, remind you, call 811 and know it's below before you dig. Poll question of the day pertains to the Houston Astros and Philadelphia Phillies. Game three of the World Series washed out last night due to storms. That has delayed the World Series now. Game three will be tonight. 6.30 pregame, 7.03 first pitch. You can listen to it right here on the game. Game four will be Wednesday. Game five, if needed, will now be on Thursday. Then, well, they will need a game five. There we go. Game six and seven, if needed, have now been pushed to Saturday and Sunday. Friday will become a travel day. Now, 
with the extra day, that means teams can have a little extra rest. Guys can get a little bit healthier. But it also means maybe you get a little bit colder. Remember, the Astros have only played a handful of games in the last three weeks. So our poll question of the day is, who gets an advantage from the World Series being delayed? Right now, 40% of you say the Phillies do. 33% say neither team has an advantage. 20% say the Astros. 7% say both. Some early comments. Ton says it benefits the Phillies. The extra day of rest negates the need for a bullpen game. With weaker pitching, this is huge since it allows your top two pitchers to be available sooner for games. It's a good point by Ton. John Paul Cajun Daddy says, I'll say neither. They're professionals and it should not affect them. It should not affect either of them. But if an advantage is gained by anyone, it will be the Phillies. They're at home and with weaker pitching than the Astros, the extra day of rest does help. So keep those comments coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your thoughts. Just make sure you keep them clean for the kids on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll update it throughout today's show and share it with all of you. Right now, let's talk a little LSU football. Coming off the bye, jumped a couple spots in the latest polls, and now Brian Kelly's team welcomes in Alabama. And this is not a vintage Alabama team by any stretch of the imagination. They are vulnerable. Struggled to beat Texas. Struggled to beat Texas A&M. Texas A&M may not even be a bowl team. Struggled to beat Arkansas. Arkansas is not all that good either. And, of course, lost to Tennessee. Bama, LSU, Death Valley at night, 6 o'clock kick. It's going to be rocking. It's going to be in an electric atmosphere. And LSU actually has a chance here because this Alabama team, much like last year's Alabama team, but even more so than last year, this year's Bama team is very vulnerable. They're not as physical at the point of attack. Will Anderson has not taken over games, dominated games like he did last year. The back end of Alabama's secondary is not very good. This is going to be a game far closer than maybe some people expect. LSU has a chance here. They really do. And Brian Kelly, he knows what it's like facing off against Nick Saban. When he was at Notre Dame, he faced off against Saban in Alabama a few times, once in a national championship game, another time in a college football playoff. It did not go the Fighting Irish's way. And he was asked, has there anything that he's possibly learned from his last two appearances going up against Nick Saban? They were extremely talented teams. Um, the, the 13 team was as physical as a football team that I've ever played against and have not played a team as, as physical. And then if you look at the perimeter skill that they had uh, in, uh, I think that was 19, it was amazing. So... You know, two different teams, but, uh, you know, just just fabulous players on both sides of the ball. And that's a big part of it, right? you got to have the guys. And obviously when Alabama and Notre Dame faced off, you could tell who had more talented players, and it was Alabama by a country mile. Makes all the difference in the world. Now, for LSU, a lot of buzz about them, right? 
came from behind to take down a top 10 team in Ole Miss. Have come back a few times this season in SEC competition, against SEC competition rather, to pull out those wins. They're having a very good season above everyone's expectations for this team. They still have a legitimate chance of winning 9-10 games. Who would have thought that in year one of Brian Kelly? And they bumped up in the AP poll, but uh, Kelly, eh, he really doesn't care about that. I didn't even know. And I'm not just bringing that up. I had no idea that we jumped up. Because it's really not anything that that changes what we do and how we do it, right? I mean, it's kind of what I just talked about is the most important thing really is, is what we do on the practice field today and how we prepare. You know, if, if it generates, um, you know, more buzz in terms of getting into the stadium and, and more fans, I'm all for it. Jump us up as high as you can. But it's really about our preparation that, that focuses my attention. Focuses his attention. And look, you can't be you can't be concerned about where your ranking is and everything like that. Uh, your LSU, Bama's coming to town, Nick Saban's coming to town, Bryce Young. You have to know that you have to be ready to go. You can't be concerned about awards or rankings or anything like that. You just got to be focused on the task at hand. Now, for Kelly, you know, he was asked yesterday, something interesting came up during the press conference was, you know, the usual kind of game plan, his process, you know, does that change because they're facing off against a quarterback like Bryce Young and Alabama's offense? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, making sure that um, you don't give up um, big plays. Uh, you got to minimize those staying in coverage. Um, you know, if he scrambles for a few yards here and there, um, that's going to happen within the realm of the, the structure of the offense or defense. But it's coming out of coverage. It's losing your eyes and not staying disciplined. If you've got a man, you've got to be able to lock on it. And then, you know, we've got to be able to tackle him when we get our opportunities. But you're absolutely right. I mean, I mean, he breaks down your defense when he scrambles, and he's so intuitive and can make those plays happen. I think what we're concerned more is, is turning in – uh, turning a smaller play into larger plays. That's going to be key in this game is containing Bryce Young once he gets out of the pocket. The linebackers for LSU are going to have to play probably their best game. Because that's that's what it's going to require. Because Bryce can Bryce is great about throwing on the run too. Can throw a dart on the run. So back end is going to have to be disciplined and not give up in their coverage, not slack at all, and open up a window for Bryce to throw to, throw through. And then the linebackers are going to have to be disciplined and keep their eye on Bryce. Will the Tigers, now with the extra week to the bye, are they going to be healthy? Are they going to have some guys back for this marquee rivalry game? And Brian Kelly gave us an injury update on two of those guys. So Major Burns uh, is cleared uh, to participate, so he'll be out at practice today. So he, as you can imagine, will be in our game plan, and we expect him to play and, and be an important part of what we do. 
Uh, Garrett Dellinger is day-to-day. Uh, he had a good weekend. He was here this weekend. As you can imagine, that's a little bit different because he's got to be able to take a load on that knee. And, you know, when you're coming back from a knee injury, it's easier to obviously not have to worry about running and cutting, but you've got to be able to take the load, and that's what we're working on right now. Uh, we think we're going to get them there, but it's, it's still a process because now we're going to add practice onto it. And so we got to see how he responds each day after practice. We, we had people leaning on him individually over the weekend. Now we're going to be leaning on him for a full practice, and we'll see how it goes. But he's making good progress. So LSU will have Burns, which is big for the back end of that defense when they take on Alabama. Once again, LSU-Bama this Saturday. You, of course, can listen to the game live right here on the game. Kickoff will be at 6 o'clock. Pre-game with Hunt Palmer, Marlon Favorite, and Brandon Taylor will be at 4. Right now, though, we got to take a timeout. Wrap up hour number one. That's coming up next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Who gets an advantage from the World Series being delayed? Once again, Game 3 of the World Series was delayed last night due to the thunderstorms throughout Philadelphia. That has pushed the World Series back a day. So Game 3 will be tonight. You can listen to it right here on the game. Astro launch will begin at 6.30. First pitch, 7.03, Game 3 of the World Series. Games 4 and 5 will be Wednesday and now Thursday. We'll have those for you right here on the game as well. Friday will now be a travel day, and if games six and seven are needed back in Houston, those will take place on Saturday and then on Sunday. We asked you, who gets an advantage from the World Series being now delayed a day due to the thunderstorms in Philadelphia last night? 45% of you say it gives the Philadelphia Phillies an advantage. 30% of you say neither. 20% say the Houston Astros, and 5% say both now have an advantage. JPK, the OD, says nobody. These guys are pros. If little things like this bothered these two teams, we would be watching the Dodgers and the Mariners playing. Salty Steve says, as long as the Astros lose, I don't care. Sick of hearing they are a dynasty with only one lousy World Series win. What is an Astro anyway? Only one I know is the dog on the Jetsons. Oh, someone's a salty Yankees fan. <laughs> oh, man. Someone's a little salty about all that. Uh, those late 90s, early 2000s aren't coming around for the Yankees anytime soon. Mr. Green on Twitter says Astros pitching is deep. Hopefully they'll stick with the same starter plan. If Verlander goes early, the Phils will get an automatic win. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. That's going to do it for hour number one. Hour number two, we'll kick it off with more World Series talk as Brett Chancey from the Locked On Astros podcast will join us to kick off hour number two. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything. 
Everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. No World Series Game 3 last night as weather throughout Philadelphia forced Major League Baseball to postpone the World Series. Game 3 will now be tonight. Astro launch will begin at 6.30. First pitch, 7.03. You can listen to it live right here on the game. Games 4 and 5, same time, same channel. They'll just be pushed back a day. Now Wednesday and Thursday. Friday will be a travel day, and if games six and seven are needed back in Houston, those will now be Saturday and Sunday. Who gets an advantage from this? It feels like Philadelphia does because they don't have as deep as uh, their pitching is not as deep. That gives their pitching staff an extra day of rest could help them out in a big way. To share his thoughts on that and so much more about this World Series matchup, is the co-host of the Locked On Astros podcast, Brett Chancy, joins us now. Brett, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? You know, I'm doing good. I'm just, you know, excited about Game Three because I love Ranger Suarez versus the Astros, and I love the lefty on lefty advantage with Jordan Alvarez and Kyle Tucker. I'd like that advantage as well. If I were you, that makes a lot of sense. So. Who do you think this gives an advantage to? I'll ask you our poll question of the day. Does the extra day of rest help Phillies more than it helps the Astros? I think, honestly, because of the Astros' depth, both starting and relief pitching, I think it's a push. And I think in the end, the, I, I think the Astros still have the advantage because of who they have. If they were in the same situation the Phillies were in, it would absolutely give the Phillies an advantage. But you have to remember, they're pushing Wheeler back to game six because he needs more rest. And they say they want to throw Aaron Nola now sooner rather than later. Well, the last time I checked, we beat Aaron Nola and knocked him out of the game. So the advantage isn't as pronounced as you would think it would be. You say the, the pitching is there and there's more depth. And I, I want I want to be there with you. I do. But then I see Justin Verlander choke away a five-run lead, which is inexcusable. I, and I, I try not to be this guy, but if you're, if you're the supposed ace of this team and you're the veteran and you're the Cy Young Award winner and MVP, I expect you not to blow a five-run lead. That is inexcusable to me. I I don't want to bash the guy, but the guy has never performed in the World Series. He had an opportunity. They gifted him a five-run lead. He choked it away and put his team in a one-game hole. Period. No, yeah, I agree with that. That's that's completely valid. Um, I just don't don't see that the Astros' bats go silent at the end of a game like they did against, against the Phillies, and that's also... Another part of the reason why they lost game one is because they didn't score after they got to the five runs. They could have put, if they would have put two more runs on the board or even one more run, we're talking about the Astros ending that game 
in the ninth inning. We don't go to the tenth inning. The Phillies don't get a sixth run. That Brett, that's so, fair, but five runs should be enough to win a major league baseball playoff game. Like, like that, oh that's no. five runs should be plenty. If 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 you're the guy, if you're a first ballot Hall of Famer, if you're a generational talent, five runs should be plenty. Three runs should be plenty. Five should be more than plenty. I get they didn't score again after that, and that's a fair criticism. I'm not saying it's not, but Justin Verlander can't get a get-out-of-jail-free card because it, this wasn't a two-run lead. It was a five-run lead at home. You were at home with a five-run lead, and you didn't get the job done. And you're supposed to be the ace, and you didn't get the job done. Oh, no, right. Yeah, that. I mean, that game absolutely should have should have been theirs. And I don't, I don't think you're going to see the same thing occur um, next time he goes out because Dusty is going to roll him back out. Dusty's not going to put him on the bench. Dusty's not going to bring him out of the bullpen. And I believe he's going to stay the course where you, you have, you know, McCullers in game three, Javier in game four, because if you do that, you give Justin Verlander an extra day of rest, and you bring him in a game five. There you go. Um, okay, so, you know, so that's what you, so that's what you think now with the extra. That was going to be my next question. So yes. we'll see Lance tonight, and then we'll see Christian tomorrow night, and then game five in Philly. Now we will see Verlander. Yeah, I think you. I think you pitch Verlander on the road. Um, he knows. You know, he knows the crowd. He. You know, I mean, and the Astros are historically a great team on the road anyway. That's you know, true. This is what's interesting about the game tonight is whoever wins tonight, it will be – or whoever loses tonight, it will be the first time. If Houston loses, it will be the first time they've lost on the road this year in the playoffs. And if the Phillies lose, it will be the first time they've lost at home um, in the playoffs. So Ooh. you've got two streaks, an away streak and a home streak, both going to end on one side or the other. Look at you with that. Look at you with the stats, that little data nugget there. I like that. That's why we have you on, brother. That's why we have you on. We're talking with Brett Chancey of the Locked On Astros podcast. I want to talk about Framer because the team needed him to kind of carry the load and step up on the bump, and he did just that. He delivered for them in game two to even up this series at one apiece. How would you evaluate what you saw for him in the World Series? You know, Framber Valdez, and this is this is no disrespect to Lance McCullers or to Justin Verlander, but Framber Valdez is our ace. I would I would not be upset if Framber Valdez was our opening day starter next year because he is absolute nails and his ability to spin the baseball and his ability to get in the heads of the other players. I mean, this guy, the pitching ninja calls him fidgety Framber. And all the talk about, oh, he rubbed his wrist, he rubbed his head, he rubbed, you know. And Framber's like, we do that growing up in the Dominican. That's how we do it. We get inside the, we get inside the hitter's heads. Framber Valdez has become one of the most lethal starting pitchers with the most lethal hook in all of Major League Baseball. And the fact that we get to line him up for a game six, if it comes back to Houston for a clincher, hey, I'm here for it every single day of the week I agree with you I I just think he's really kind of flourishing he's coming into his own and really is 
just kind of blossoming, if if you will. I, I want to talk about the the pitching a little bit more. Does Dusty Baker hate Ryan Stanek? Because I, I just have a I just the the guy set a new franchise record this year. He's been lights out the best year of his career, and we haven't seen him. And and Dusty kind of explained it the other day. What do you make of not using Stanek at all? You know, Dusty's claiming that he's playing the numbers, and he claims he has a stat sheet that that shows the matchups haven't favored Stanek in a lot of situations, which I don't know. Um, Stanek, almost every situation he was in this year was was high leverage. He had a scoreless inning streak that went on for quite a while. (laughs) Like you said, he set the ERA record. And I absolutely thought he would have a key moment, at least in the World Series and ALCS, other than maybe an inning. Here's my issue with it. I love that Montero is pitching well. I love that Nerys is pitching well. But at some point, are you overexposing your relievers to the same team in a short series where you don't have more than seven games to get those four wins? I just hope that they figure out a way to get Stanek in there. I think you'll see him in game three because they're going to expect to play. I mean, obviously they got to play all three games because both teams only have one win. Stanek, I think, needs to pitch at least two or three innings these next three games at least. And if he doesn't, it's going to be a mystery because we've talked to Ryan Stanek. I've interviewed him. I know how much he wants to be out there and how much he wants to contribute. And I promise you, he's probably scratching his head a little bit too, going, "Okay, so when are you going to put me in?" Yeah, it, it's it's a little curious, but once again, Dusty, look, he's guided this team through everything that he's guided it through, so you kind of have to trust him, right, Brett? I mean, that that's what it boils down to. We can we can question it, but Dusty's the lifelong baseball guy, and he used Stanek throughout the season, so it's not as if he's not scared to use him. I, I I don't think Dusty uses a sheet. I think Dusty trusts his gut. So I mean that's that that's just my own personal opinion there. But I agree with that too. Right. So I think you have to roll with Dusty here. The lineup, uh, Altuve started to kind of come to life. You started getting guys starting to kind of you know get it together, so to speak. There in Game Two, what's the most promising? You mean the most promising in this lineup um, for tonight? Correct. With the I matchup, think you, I think I think Jose Altuve starts off hot. I think Jordan Alvarez and Kyle Tucker are absolutely going to do a great job. Um, they are some of the best, have some of the highest averages against left-handed pitchers. Um, I anticipate them to knock out Ranger Suarez early, and if they do that, it causes a real problem for the Philadelphia Phillies. Now, um, I also think that. Having David Hensley in there, Eric and I talked about this on the show, he's a rookie. He's green. But sometimes rookies, especially guys that have done a great job like him, come into a situation like this, and they don't realize they're not supposed to be good. They don't realize that the inexperience is supposed to be a disadvantage. And they just go up there with a confidence, and they hit. And I think you're going to see David Hensley contribute one way or another tonight I, I have the Astros easily taking game three in Philadelphia against this crowd. We're hearing all these warning signs about, oh, my gosh, worry about the crowd. I've heard more fear that we should have in the Phillies crowd than the actual Phillies team. That should, con- that, that should concern Phillies fans. You like them to win tonight. 
let me ask you this. I said Astros in six, and I'm going to stand by that because I think Philly does get one at home in this three-game stretch. Do you believe that the series is actually going to be going back to Houston, yes or no? I do. I think the Astros win game three and four. I think the Phillies take game five, and I think they clinch with Framer on the mound in game six. At Minute Maid Ballpark. That'd be something. And, yes, and I'll be there. And so I need that ticket to be scanned. I need to be in the stands, and I need to shed tears of joy when I watch my Houston Astros win their second World Series title. Now, let me ask you this. You want to be there. It would be a great moment. But wouldn't part of you feel a little bit more relieved if they just take all three games in Philly? <laughs> just be like, and be done with it and come home for the parade? Yes. Now, 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 yes. Of course, I'm being a little selfish there wanting to be a part of the no, clincher. Of course. Of course. I would love I would love them to sweep all three games because it, it, it would just give you all kinds of just fodder for because man, let me tell you, we have had and and look, we love when Phillies fans interact with us, but it has been quite comical um the confidence they have. But hey, you know what? Tip the hat to them. You know, they are they are the Wolverine that has been put in a corner and they're not gonna go down without a fight. And I'll tell you this, even if the Astros win all three it's not going to be, I don't think, you know, I mean, I think it's going to be easily, I mean, highly contested. It's, they're not going to go down without swinging. So I think it'll be a bit of a dogfight. The Astros can win two of three. And if they win three of three, then you know what? The parade's on Saturday. I'm happy. There you go, bud. There you go. You can go and get your merch. You'll be good to go. Yeah, you'll be disappointed because you won't see a game six. But you know what? You can go and just plan for the parade and go ahead and save up all that money to buy all that merchandise because I feel like you'd probably spend a pretty penny on all that. What do you think? Yes, sir, definitely. Uh, it's like a, <laughs> it's like a friend of mine said, we don't have to put in for work on a weekday. Um, one of my friends said, you know what? We can, we, can, we can have our drinks until noon and then be home by 6 and in bed. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Brett, appreciate your time as always, brother. Enjoy the games tonight and we'll talk to you next tuesday hopefully as the astros are going to be world series champs yes sir and hey y'all make sure y'all check us out on youtube we are near our goal we're going to announce our goal once we hit it our yearly goal we have crushed it because you guys listen to us follow us on youtube heck apple google spotify you can check me out at h town wheelhouse on twitter tiktok and instagram remember we're your team every day always positive always strows Brett, appreciate your time, buddy. Have a good one, sir. My, my, man, my man's confident. Confident. I like Philly to take a game. I don't know if it's game five. I can see them winning game four. But I do think Houston takes two or three in Philly and then brings it back. And Brett wasn't as hard on Verlander as I am, but if you're a generational talent, you're one of the greatest of all time, you have to be able to go out there and not blow a five-run five, five run lead. Sorry. I, you're in the conversation to being your generation's best pitcher. It's actually Clayton Kershaw, but he's right there with him. And Kershaw's had his postseason woes and World Series woes. 
but at least he's won a couple games. Like, Verlander's never won a World Series game. And they gifted him a five-run lead, and he said, hey, watch this. (laughs) There you go. It's erased. Like, if he was Hunter Brown being a rookie out there, I say then, yeah, the bats didn't score enough runs late. But he was given a five-run lead. Five. Not two. Not three. No, 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 no. Five. Every finger on your hand, that's how many runs he had. And he went out there and just melted down. Yet again. Got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up. Coach Des will be joining us. Louisiana Raging Cajuns head football coach. That's next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 180! What's up? Raging Cajuns head football coach Michael Desimo joins RP3 and company to talk all things Vermillion and White. It's time for Hashtag UL Culture with Coach Des. Coach, good morning, brother. How are you today? I'm doing well, Raymond. Good morning. Appreciate you making the time, brother. All right, let's go back to last week's game. And you guys obviously come up short, but you guys show a ton of fight. You show the ability to make those second-half adjustments defensively and offensively. It was just a little – it just came up a little short. Still had a chance to even force overtime there in the last final minutes. What did you make of your team's performance there in Hattiesburg against Southern Miss on Thursday? Oh, I, I mean, I was, you know, I mean, I was incredibly proud of the fight that that our kids played with and and showed. You know, I mean, I've been around teams that, God, if you, if we'd had a start like that, we'd have lost by fifty. You know, I mean, it just, you know, but our guys, you know, they just kind of. They didn't panic, you know, and, and you kind of felt on the sideline at some point that we were going to settle down and be able to get back in it. It, it was really just uh, – it was kind of too much too early, you know, um, to go down 29-5 to five, um, early in the second quarter. You know, it was just – it was too much for us to get out of. And I, and I told our team, you know, I mean, for two and a half quarters, you know, you play really well and you really you, – you play a lot better than they do. You play good enough to win the game. But the first quarter and a half, I mean, it was – it was just it was it was kind of a snowball effect a little bit, you know. I mean, it's just you go back and look at things and go through the goals and the things that you have for a team that you you know that that help you to win games. And one of the things defensively is explosives. You try to limit explosives. We only gave up five explosives, but three of them are for touchdowns. So it's kind of you know that's that stat's a little deceiving, you know, when you don't get the guys on the ground and you know you kind of you look back at the tape and you feel like, golly, man, if we just you know, been a little bit better position here or there, get them on the ground. You know, you have a chance right there and make them drive the field, which, you know, they really haven't done a whole lot this year, um, been able to sustain drives. But, you know, we gave them some, some big play touchdowns. And then offensively, you know, um, the first quarter, you know, you just kind of didn't get in rhythm, couldn't get anything going early. And at the end of the second quarter, you get a drive for a touchdown. You get a drive, you end up missing a field goal, but you drive the ball and then come out in the second half. And, you know, the first two drives of the second half, really moving the ball well, and then you end up turning over on downs on one and turn it over uh, on a fumble on the other. So, 
you know, you felt like there were a lot of opportunities there to capture a little bit of momentum. And even as bad as it started, I kind of feel like if offensively in the second half we'd have scored those first two possessions, and you know, now you're looking at 25 to, uh, you know, 29, and you feel like, all right, well, we're, we're going to win the next, you know, in the fourth quarter, and, you know, quarter and a half, you feel like you're going to go win the game. But just, uh, you know, like I said, they just, it was, it was too many, too much of a snowball effect early on, and, and it took us too long to be able to kind of, Catch our bear, catch our uh, catch our breath, you know, find our bearings and, and get back to playing ball. So, just um, got to start better than that if you want to win, man. Got to play four quarters. You know, it was an emotional game for the team. It was you were you know kind of fired up and emotional afterwards, and so were your guys, uh, Chris Moncrief and and Zion Hill Green. How do you take the emotional outcome of that game, and it, it goes your it goes against you, but how do you take those emotions and turn it into something good for the team, Coach? How, how does that work? How does that process work? Well, I, I mean, you got to you got to move past it. You know, as you go in the future, I mean, you kind of. You know, I talked about it earlier when we kind of went through this through through that stretch, you know, where we weren't getting the results we wanted. You know, regardless of, of the results, you know, you have to take the results out of it and, and you have to take the emotion out of it certainly too you know I mean obviously that was the game that we really wanted to win you know I knew how important it was to our kids that are on our team that are from Mississippi um, you know and I knew how important it was to our team because you know we still had a shot at some some really pretty pretty important goals that we had in the season you know if we could have won that game but um, you know you, you got to come back in the office and this business as usual you got to go back to the tape and you got to say okay well what are the things that we what are the things that we do really well um, that we need to build off of? We need to, you know, continue to grow from. And what are the things that we didn't do very well? And you got to go back to, all right, well, you know, why did we not do this, that, the other? And what are the things we can fix? And how can we fix it? And you know, so at that point, it's kind of, um, I don't want to say robotic, but it's it, it's kind of just it's it's just cyclical. You know, what I mean, the way that you kind of operate, it's okay after the game, then this, and it, you just got to. You got to move on. You know, you can have your reaction. It's the 24-hour kind of rule that a lot of people use. Uh, you know, certainly when you lose, it sticks with you a little bit longer just because it kind of stings a little bit more. Um, but, you know, the big thing from that game, I, I think our kids throughout this whole year, I, they see that whenever we prepare well and we go out and we play well, you know, we have gotten results that we wanted. Uh, last week, you know, we just really just did not play well in the first quarter and a half, and they did, and they did some things that we couldn't recover from, and you know it's just it's one of those one of those tough lessons that you got to learn. Kind of unfortunately feels like we've been learning them uh, way too often this year, but it's uh you know it's just kind of it's part of it. You know every team you got to kind of figure those things out, and for us we played well in spots, just not not four quarters, and and if you. It just goes to show you that if you don't play all four and you don't do it the right way, then it, it can it can get you. Does that experience on the road, quick turnaround, <clears throat> does that help you and your staff and your team prepare for the quick turnaround that you guys are going to have to do next week when you have to play Georgia Southern on a Thursday night, but that game will be at home. Does that experience last week help you guys get better prepared for that Georgia Southern game? I absolutely hope so. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think it does. You know, our staff, we've uh, we've had quite a few of these in the last, um, 
I don't know, we've had quite a few of these in, in the last couple of years, you know, so I think I was going through, I think that was our, our fourth or fifth one. Um, so I, I, our plan, I, I do like our plan for preparation. Um, I do feel like, you know, it's, I mean, obviously it, it is what it is, right? You're, you're, you're jamming seven days worth of work in the five days. So it is rushed. It is a little bit hectic and chaotic, but um, early in the week, but I mean, it is what it is, right? The work has to be done. So I think we have a good structure and a good schedule for it. Um, you know, you just – I do think that, you know, maybe the, the experience maybe helps us kind of understand the way that you got to come out of the gate. Um, and really, you know, it, it, I do think that that can be really a, a tone setter um, if you do jump off to a good start because, it, you know, that, that's a tough week, you know, uh, the, the five-day turnaround. It's tough for the players. You know, it's tough for everybody. And, you know, if you jump out on somebody, I think potentially it could be one of those deals. You know, we've done that in the past. You know, we, uh, I think of Coastal Carolina in 2019, we had a five-day turnaround, and we jumped out on them, and it was kind of like it was too much for them. You know, they just kind of, you know, let it go. And then um, we played Ohio last year early in the year on a five-day turnaround, and we didn't jump on them, but, you know, kind of going into halftime, we built some momentum and second half kind of rolled through it. So, I mean, you kind of you go back and kind of see those things. And, you know, I, I was watching actually Georgia State last year, uh, which was a five-day turnaround, and we just kind of struggled through the entire game and, and barely squeaked it out in the end. So you kind of see those fast starts, I think, have, uh, have been something that it, I think it has been significant in those short turnaround weeks. Coach, let's talk about this week's game. Saturday, it's a big one. Troy comes to town, 4 o'clock kickoff. What does the tape tell you about the Trojans? What are they bringing to the table and what kind of challenges they're going to present your squad? They're a good football team. Uh, you know, they're obviously, you know, at 6-2, and two, you can look at the record and you can tell that to be true. But, um, yeah, I mean, they, these guys, they, they play good football, you know, defensively. Uh, I think that's kind of where it starts for them. You know, I mean, even if just statistically you looked at their team, you can see that defensively that's kind of their been their bell cow a little bit. Uh, people ask me all the time, what is it about them that makes them so good? I think the thing is, is that all three levels of their defense, um, there, there's really doesn't seem like there's any kind of drop off. It, it just they're they're really they're good at all three levels, you know. I mean, you you look at the D line; these guys are really active and they make a lot of plays. They're edge players, um, you know, are long. They rush the passer and play the run, which most most you know for most uh, most edge players, it's kind of one or the other. You know, they they uh, they're they're run players or pass players. Uh, they're linebackers. You know, you got Carlton Marshall, who everyone in the Sun Belt knows about this guy. Um, and he's playing as good as ever. I mean, he, you know, the guy is what he is, man. I mean, you don't have that many tackles in your career if you're not an unbelievable player. And then on the back end, I think what they do better than than most people uh, on the back end is they're they're really disciplined in that they keep they keep the ball in front of them. They'll they'll play they'll play on top coverage, and then they do a really good job of coming down and tackling on the back end. So. Um, I just think that they play really good complementary football, and I think their defense is where it starts. They don't give up these big explosive plays for touchdowns. And you know, the reality of it is, is that if you make people drive all the way down the field and, and operate offenses, all eleven guys operate ten, twelve, fourteen play drives. They're not going to do it consistently. 
You know, that's why, you know, you see people they talk about like a 12-play drive, like it's this amazing, you know, big deal because it is. It's hard to do that. So their defense, they do. I mean, they just make you earn it all the way down the field. And then offensively, you know, I, I do. I think their quarterback, I think they put the ball in his hands um, and they let him throw it probably more than you would assume if you look at the stat line, um, you know, and the scores, I guess, more than the stat line. If you look at the scoreboard uh, numbers, but they do put the ball in his hands and he does a good job. He gets the ball to uh, number 15, who I think is a really good football player. They get it to him in space and, and they, they're going to run the ball, power, all those things. You know, I mean, they're going to run a bunch of gap runs and, I think their backs do a good job. I think they get downhill. I think they know when to finish runs, uh, you know, and they, they do a good job of, of always falling forward and, and, and getting those dirty yards at the end. So I think they've got a really good football team, man. I mean, you turn the tape on, you can see it. Um, but that defense is just is really their stout. And um, it's going to take our best effort, you know, because I do think that we're going to have to be able to run the football. We're going to have to establish that early on. And, and certainly, you know, the last, few weeks we've been able to mix it up with the pass game and we're going to have to do that to be able to have success and be able to go win the football game but it's a it's a it's an awesome challenge it's a great opportunity um for us especially on senior night you know these seniors deserve to go out on a high note and, and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna bust our, t- our rear end to make sure that we do that for them coach appreciate your time as always best of luck this week brother thank you for your time and we'll talk to you next week bud appreciate you thank you Raymond. Coach Des, man in charge of Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Look, I said this yesterday, and I told this to someone off the air. I loved what I saw from this team in the second half. Starting in the second quarter, they started to fight. They made adjustments at halftime. They figured out how to slow down Frank Gore Jr. and that Wildcat quarterback. They didn't give up the big plays, and they played up to their potential. If they can come out that way, like they played in the second, third, and fourth quarters. They'll beat Troy. It's one thing to go on the road. It's another thing to play at home. It's a cliche for a reason. But if the Cajuns play like they did in the second half, think of it this way. Even with four turnovers, they still had a chance to force overtime. Even with four turnovers, they still had a chance to force overtime. If they clean up the turnovers and play like they did in the second half defensively, They will beat Troy. It's a winnable game. Got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. You know how some fellas don't care how they look? I mean, a few of you are rocking sweatpants that haven't been washed in days. Ew. Not to worry, my dear unkempt friend. RP3 and company is a judgment-free zone. Hell, sometimes these guys don't even wear pants. I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party. The pants with the pants. Party with pants. Now back to the hopefully fully clothed RP3 on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, I'm sorry. My apologies. I was just basking in the glow of winning the draft. 
I'm getting, I'm getting the business from producer extraordinaire Miss Hannah Five Names. Look, Bobana, you just have to accept the fact that I won the game's candy draft. I just, I don't understand why this is so difficult for you just to understand and to accept. No. <laughs> I mean, look, I'm, I'm going to break it down. We had a snake-style draft, like a fantasy football draft, for candy. Credit mm-hmm. five names. She got all the cards there for us, handwritten them. Very nice job, by the way. Thank you. Very nice. Penmanship is on point. So, we did a draft. Candy draft. Halloween candy draft. James went first. Hannah went second. Matt went third. And then I went fourth. But then I had the fifth overall pick because it's snake style. James's draft. Skittles, Airheads, Twix, M&M's, Smarties, and then he loses me. Candy corn. He loses you and Matt. I like candy corn. Jordy Holberg likes candy corn. James Mesh likes candy corn. Clint Doming likes candy corn. Just you and Matt have a problem. First of all, Jordy's old. And second of all, James and Clint live at home with their parents. I don't know if those are the people you need to align yourself with. Just saying. Just saying. Just throwing it out there. The devil's candy, y'all like, that's fine. So that's a strong team. My daughter, Hattie, would probably enjoy that team, right? Skittles, she likes Skittles. She likes Airheads. She likes Twix. Eh, she's okay about M&M's. I don't, I don't see her really being, being a fiend about the M&M's. She don't like candy corn. We made her try it on a blind taste test as she spit it out. But yeah. then let's look at your team. You may have the best first-round pick of anyone. Yeah, obviously. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Undefeated, the best yeah. Halloween candy of all time. One by like 49% in our, our poll question. <laughs> yes. And either one or two in the Get to Know the Game, what's your favorite Halloween candy, which you can go check out at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. So you go Reese's. Boom. Right. Up. I mean, just high-end pick. The best pick in the first round. You mm-hmm. had it. I did. Then you go Laffy Taffy. Can't go wrong there. It's a good pick. Then you decide, hey, let's mix it up here with a Charleston Chew as your third round pick. Marshmallow, chocolate, chest kiss. No. Yes. Grandma? No. You already stabbed him a grandma, so it's fine. No. It's a good pick. Because I'm already an 80-year-old grandma because I like coloring and coloring books. There's 75-year-old men right now going, what are you doing? I don't even eat that stuff anymore. Charleston's Chew, Twizzlers. All right. That's a good, solid makeup pick. Then you go with the Krabby Patty. And then Caramel Apples? No. You had it. You had the victory in your hands. It was right here. And you did what Justin Verlander did on Friday night. You were given a five-run lead, and then you just all, all over yourself. Throwing Let's, knuckleballs and sliders. Li- <laughs> yeah, I used, I, used, I used baseball terms. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> yes, you did. And let's go to Matthew. Snickers. That's a solid first-round pick. Peanut M&Ms. Okay. Three Musketeers. I'm with them so far. Then he brings in Dots. Dots to the equation? No. Yeah. No, no. You lo- lost me. Then it's milk duds, which are good. My wife loves some milk duds. 
Tina? Oh. I got a horror story to me with milk duds. No horror stories needed. And then hundred grand. And then there's your boy. Look, I will freely admit, I don't have a top-tier quarterback in my draft, as we talked about earlier. You have a top-tier quarterback. You have one of those MVP guys, as Foot likes to call yeah. him. You got your Reese's Peanut Butter Cuts. James has got the Skittles. Okay, Matt's got Snickers. You guys got top-tier quarterbacks in your candy draft. I don't have one. Yeah, but, I got Mahomes over there. But you know what I got? What? I got a great offensive line. <laughs> I can run the football, and I can play defense. And I got guys on the outside. This is who I drafted. I got the Hershey's Minis. Oh, Why? I got my offensive line right there because I get the regular Hershey. I get the Hershey with the almonds. I get the crackle and I get a Mr. Good bar. See, but technically crackle had its own card. So you don't get crackle. Hold on. Uh, your point has been put into record and it's been ruled against. No, fine. So overturn. <laughs> so I got my offensive line right off the bat. Then I go, I go from Hershey's minis. I go to Kit Kats. Ha! Kit Kats filled in the second round. Unbelievable. I got Kit Kats. Then I got Tootsie Rolls. Tootsie Rolls. All varieties. Once again, extra value. I add depth to my team, just like I did with the Hershey's Minis. Then Starburst. It doesn't say one particular flavor. I bought my daughter Hattie uh, pink only, by the way. They sell those. I was not they aware. They do. Oh, and it's oh. weird, but they do sell well, the certain colors only. So now I got Starburst. What? Then I get my caramel with Milky Way, and then I wrap up with, once again, another candy that comes in multiple flavors, Nerds. What's the top flavor to you of Nerds? Oh, the grape. Same. Okay. Yes. We're on the same page as that. So, yes, you guys may have the elite top-end quarterbacks for the candy draft. I, I will say that all day long. Yeah. You got, like, Andy Dalton over there. But I got Hershey's Minis. <laughs> get multiple. I got Tootsie Rolls, multiple flavors, Starburst, multiple flavors, Nerds, multiple flavors. I got all the depth. I got the team <laughs> built for a championship. Just go ahead and concede. You lost. You lost. I'm over you. <laughs> I'm so over you. It's unreal. We should do that, though. I think we take our candy draft and we put next to them like names of like actual players Ooh, i like that i like that you get the rest of the week to like figure out who's going to be those players we come back with that answer when we come back we have someone chimed in oh no dad like like your dad no oh dad this is addressed to me reese's peanut butter cups are kind of good but they're not the best halloween candy ever just to let you know i love you and have a great day at work and don't be late this time got it <laughs> so not only does she disagree with her pops about Reese's peanut butter cups being the best Halloween candy, she then sits there and says, "Hey, love you, have a great day." Oh, by the way, don't be late. Yeah, no, 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 two forty-five business, <laughs> two thirty, sir. Oh, all right, Hattie, delicious. You gotta go down some now. I take you down and pick. Oh, that kid. on my Reese's. That kid. Gotta love her. Man, she scored big with the candy. We hit up our neighborhood. We gave out candy. Then we hit up our neighborhood. Stopped by my mom's. Got candy there. Last weekend, she went uh, to with her Mimi and Pop to the campground at Beulah Rose. Got candy there. 
And then we went to a friend's neighborhood and got candy again last night. So we're, we're taken care of. So so does that mean that also the game is taken care of because whatever candy you bring from your daughter's thing at the house yes. comes to us. So if yes. she has good candy, we have good candy. <laughs> yes, everyone will be taken care of, as always. Oh. <laughs> Shout out to Hattie for that. We got to take a timeout. Oh, do you want to be one of the first people to see Black Panther Wakanda forever? Oh, it's a highly anticipated sequel. Could be a good addition to the MCU. Lots of emotions involved, especially with them keeping the storyline going without Chadwick Boseman. If you want to be part of it, you want to see it before anyone else. Hey, text the word Panther to 337-283-8100. That's Panther to 337-283-8100 for your chance to score a spot for two on the guest list for a private viewing of Black Panther Wakanda Forever at Celebrity Theaters in Broussard on November the 10th. Once again, text the word Panther to 337-283-8100 to score tickets for Black Panther Wakanda Forever brought to you by the game Celebrity Theaters and Sherman Insurance. Let's check in on the old poll question of the day, shall we? We asked you, with the delay in the World Series, last night's Game 3 was washed out. They'll play Game 3 tonight. Astro launch will begin at 6.30. First pitch, 7.03. But that pushes all the World Series back. Games 3, 4, and 5 will now be tonight, Wednesday, Thursday. We'll have them all for you on the game. Friday will now be a travel day. And if games six and seven are needed in Houston, those will be on Saturday and Sunday. So we asked you, who gets an advantage from the World Series being delayed by a day? Right now, 39% of you say it's the Phillies, 29% apiece for Astros and neither, and 3% of you say for both. Brad on the Twitter Oh, he replied back to Steve, Salty Steve's comment. This says, what is an Astro anyway? The only one I know is the dog on the Jetsons, which is a good re- reference. By the way, Jetsons, I may prefer the Jetsons over the Flintstones. Talking about old Hanna-Barbera cartoons, but that'll be a discussion for another day. Brad tells Steve, short for astronauts, you know, NASA, Houston, space travel makes perfect sense to me. Y'all getting salty with each other. Getting salty with each other on the on the old social media platform. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Who gets an advantage from the World Series being delayed? Right now, 39% of you say Phillies. Once again, 29% apiece for Astros or neither, and 3% for both. So keep those votes coming, and we'll share your comments throughout hour number three of today's show. Hour number two is done. Hour number three, how are we going to kick it off? How about our friend, the great one, Jim Gazzolo, the man who hosts the McNeese Coaches Show, who hosts Poke Nation, who covers the McNeese Cowboys for the Lake Charles American Press. He'll join us to kick off hour number three. That's next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, 
Everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. I don't know about you, but I'm still riding the sugar high from last night's trick-or-treating. Did I raid my daughter's candy? Yes. But, but, before you pass judgment, I was just doing the right thing as a dad, quality control. Got to make sure to protect the kiddos. Can't be having them ingest things that aren't good for them. I might as well take one for the team. Right? That just makes good sense. <laughs> no, you see, you lay the groundwork early. So, like, when we were getting the candy together, the pass out, because we passed out candy as well in our neighborhood and did trick-or-treating, you know, I opened it up, and I was like, oh, we bought these just to hand out. And I was like, hey, daughter, Hattie, baby girl, I threw her a Three Musketeer mini. She was so happy. I was like, there you go. And then she was like, well, Daddy, you should have one for yourself. I said, thank you. Thank you. I should. And I will. Two, three, four, later. <laughs> uh, and yes, as we talked about earlier, you can expect to have candy brought here in my office to snack on, as we do all the time. <laughs> You're on the game. Oh, man, two hours down. It's been a great show so far on this November 1st edition of the program. Coming up half an hour from right now, Ali Cassell, editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights, will join us. Pelicans, strong start to the season. Can they keep it up? When can we expect Brandon Ingram to return to the lineup from concussion protocol? We'll talk about that with Ali Cassell coming up in half an hour from right now. We'll talk a little LSU men's basketball as well this hour. We heard from their man in charge. They tip off the season next Wednesday, by the way. Yeah, basketball season's already here. But right now, it's time for us to talk all things Cowboys. McNeese Cowboys, to be more specific. Because the man who hosts the McNeese Coaches Show every Wednesday here on the game, he also hosts Poke Nation. He also covers the, the McNeese Cowboys for the Lake Charles American Press. He is a multimedia superstar. Triple threat, TV, radio, print. It's the great one. Jim Gozzolo joins us now. Jim, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> I can always count. No sugar high here. No sugar high here. Oh no, no, no sugar high. Did you uh, uh, did you uh, doyle out the candy uh, last night, Bud? Did you sit down in the driveway and uh, pelt children with uh, candy as they walked by? Uh, yes, I did. In fact, I helped out the cause. I, I pretty much watched. And you said negative comments to the kids as they took candy. They're like, trick or treat. You're like, yeah, whatever. Take your candy, uh, you there heathen. Was some of that. There was some of that. There was some of the, what is that you're trying to pull off there, son? <laughs> What's your costume? You failed. What you're exactly, a failure. What exactly. What statement are you making with that? <laughs> oh, oh, curmudgeon gazolo. I love it. All right, bud. We've talked a lot about the football team figuring out how to win, and they're getting closer and closer. Getting closer, yeah. They they are getting closer 
they nearly pulled off a win on the road against Nichols, let that one kind of slip through their hands, and then they lost homecoming to Southeastern. That series is always really close no matter how good one of the teams is and no matter how bad the other team is. They had a chance to win, was unable to make it happen against the Lions. Just how close are they to kind of breaking through and finally figuring out how to win to allow Gary Goff to be able to lay that foundation for future success? Well, I think they're real close. I think they'll win two of the last three at least. Um, because they're because they're doing things in the red zone they didn't do. Uh, the last 12 trips to the red zone, they've scored 11 times with touchdowns, one field goal. We didn't see that before. The self-destruction wasn't there. They didn't have a turnover until the fourth quarter um, when Walker Wood made a couple of bad passes when he was trying to do too much. The last one, under a minute left, is trying to make something happen. Uh, but play of, I, I think the, the thing that impressed me is I'll, I'll take Krajan Bennett, for instance, two freshmen from Iowa, on a fourth and 13 play, gets beat for a 33-yard touchdown in the first quarter. But comes back in the second half, has an interception, doesn't get beat at all in the second half. And here's a kid that shouldn't really be expected to play yet, but because of dismissals and injuries in the secondary, a true freshman has had to take off his red shirt and play. We're seeing a lot of that. Um John McCall makes two catches for 89 yards the other night. That's a name you hadn't heard before. Jalen Johnson makes five catches. Another name you haven't heard. Kids are starting to step up. The offensive line is playing better. Um, But still, key mistakes at the moment. A bobbled snap on on a conversion. Just the littlest of things is killing them. It's the littlest things, and you have to kind of push through that to figure out how to win. And, and once that yeah. happens, then the, the 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 dam breaks, so to speak, right, Jim? Because then it's you get the win out of the way, and it's like, okay, now we can do this. And it, it kind yeah. of plants the seed in the kids' minds. A big part of what they've been able to do here in recent weeks when they've gotten exponentially better has been they're getting the ball in Deontay McMahon's hands. He was the LSWA Offensive Player of the Week. Another sensational performance, three total touchdowns by him. Is that what we're going to see the rest of the way, them just getting the ball in his hands and letting him make plays in space? Uh, At crunch time, seven touchdowns the last two games. Yeah, leads the conference in rushing. As, as things go, he's the go-to guy. Now he's getting it out of the backfield. But I think you're going to see more of these kids coming in, young players playing, and getting opportunities. I don't think he's just going to put them in and say, okay, go uh, earn your stripes. He, he wants to see what they can do. So I think he will still spread it around. But definitely, not only seeing Walker Wood establish as the quarterback, I think you're going to see much – Simpler offense in terms of the reads, more uh, complete read options, and definitely more McMahon. So is Walker Wood going to be the guy moving forward? Or, I mean, what's the extent of Knox Kadem's injury? Uh, 
matter at this point. <laughs> Realistically, uh, yeah, it'll be Walker Wood this week. Um, Knox Kadem has not been cleared to play yet, although he did practice again yesterday. I suspect he'll be cleared by Thursday, and he'll be a backup um, until he's fully healthy at least. But the energy Walker Wood brought, the fact that I think they believe in him, and the fact that they just wanted something fresh. The crowd wanted something fresh. He provided a punch. He provided a weapon with his legs, scoring on a 42-yard touchdown run. I think he will be it moving forward. But it's sprinkled in other guys because there's still development taking place. You say believe in him, and I, I, I hate to be this guy, but I'm going to be this guy. The coaching be staff didn't believe in him in the spring when they moved Walker Wood to right. wide receiver. The coaching staff believes in him. And, and they didn't believe him in the summer when they added Cam Ransom to the quarterback room. They still didn't believe in him then. So – why do they believe in him now with only a few games left to go in the season when they didn't believe him I'm in the spring sure or the summer? Coaches, I'm not sure the coaches believe in him as much as the players do. Interesting. Here's the facts. Here's the facts. He didn't get – he could not play quarterback if you're developing Cam Ransom. He didn't get to move back to the position and take snaps in practice until Ransom was – put on the on the scout team. That gave up the snaps that he was taking to allow Walker Wood back into the room and as a full-time member. So two weeks later, he got a chance to play. Um, but we, he didn't look good. You and I both know he didn't look good all the time either in the spring and summer. That's correct. He struggled so, with consistency. So uh, that's interesting because – Moving forward, that's kind of a fine line for for Gary here, right? Because you're you're just trying to find some type of identity on uh, identity on offense. You thought you found it with Knox. Knox gets hurt. You got Walker, and then if you roll with Walker the rest of the way, yeah, look, you're going to be recruiting quarterbacks anyway. We know that, okay. And this is not yeah. a knock on any of the guys, but if you got three quarterbacks, more than likely you have none. So you know, what I'm saying so. I, I get that, but it's a fine line that he has to 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 roll with. And you and go back to something else you said earlier, Jim was, well, he wants to see what the younger guys can do. That's right. You need to kind of spread it around, see what you got, mm-hmm. figure out who can play. But then that also means you're taking reps away from the guys that stuck with you that could have easily transferred out. So that's a, the balancing act that you have to do here with your seniors is they stuck with it. They stuck with the Cowboys. They didn't leave. They didn't bolt. So you kind of kind of have to kind of massage that a little bit, right? Yeah, I think you got to play, you got to play it two ways. And I think he will. I think he did the other night. But I think at the end, you, you, you've got to try to win some games to turn the culture completely around. And that's first and foremost is winning the games if you can. And I think he will try to do that. The Knox Kadem, we've seen what he can do. Uh, you and I both probably agree the starting quarterback next year hopefully is not on the roster. Correct? Correct. So you're not rubbing anybody's nose in it that isn't there. Uh, but with that being said, I think you'd like to at least say, 
I'd like to see what Cam Callister can do, the true freshman, so he stays in the program too. Correct, and that's There's a guy, that. and that's a guy Gary recruited. That's the other part of that. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yes. And, and is is the freshman class he likes so much quarterback? So I I don't think he's next year starter, but he might be two years down the road starter. So I, I and you've got to you always got to worry about are you re recruiting your guys. And how are they playing out? And how are you communicating with them? And is he physically ready at 165 pounds to play that? Mm. Or does he need another year in the weight room? He needs he, he needs a couple trips to the buffet line with mashed potatoes and everything covered in gravy. Um, well, he can go with uh, Eastern Illinois at 3.30 on Saturday because that's what they're doing. Okay, so we're talking – I'm glad you brought that up. We're talking with Jim Gazzolo, our friend from the Meanies – beat he covers it for the lake charles american press he hosts the meet coaches show as well as poke nation so this was interesting you let me know this yesterday about yeah. eastern illinois travel plans that's their opponent their last non-conference opponent saturday in the hole eastern illinois the panthers come to town the fighting sean payton slash tony romo slash jimmy garoppolo's so they come in but they're literally not coming in until a few hours before kick correct Yes. They are not leaving uh, Charleston International. Oh, that that's adorable. <laughs> that's adorable. Continue. Until um, noon. Oh, man. And you and I both know that Charleston International is not a hub of travel. And that anything weather-wise, and we're in November now, can happen. Correct. At November in the Midwest. What I'd like to point that out is it is, it is Eastern and, Illinois. Yeah, and November in the Midwest, not at O'Hare Airport. So this is not clearing snow greatness here. Um, but also, then they're coming in. They're landing roughly 315 if everything goes well. Deplaning, heading to Golden Corral, I'm told for dinner, which is not my ideal pregame meal, and then going to the stadium directly and getting dressed. So they're going to get off the plane around 315, 320, get their equipment, board a bus from the airport in Lake Chuck, go to the Golden Corral, eat, and then come to the stadium to warm up to play a football game. Yeah. I really like McNeese's chances to win Saturday. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, that I, is I, poor I was, planning. Uh, I just think that is an unbelievably tough turn. And, be, and let's be realistic here. They're going to be back on a plane by 11 o'clock. Oh, they're just flying right out of Schnault Airport. They're back on the charter at 11 o'clock. And what if they're delayed? That's the other part of this. Uh, enjoy enjoy the LSU game, people. <laughs> <laughs> All right, one more for you, bud. All right, uh, this matchup. Obviously, Eastern Illinois struggled this year, just like McNeese has, and we just documented their 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 itinerary, which is not great for Saturday. You, I know you like McNeese in this one. So do I. Uh, why do you think the Cowboys kind of have an advantage? Take the travel plans out of the equation. Why do you think this is a good matchup for McNeese? Uh, I, I think they're 
understanding. We're seeing better growth in them than what we saw in Eastern Illinois, more than anything. I think that they're uh, they're close, um, and I, I think they'll they'll get one at some point. I think they get the last three. I've said that for three weeks now, and people are you know oh, oh you're a homer. I also said they're going to lose all the other ones. So <laughs> I guess I wasn't a homer that week those weeks. But I just, I just see them coming together a little bit. The offensive line's better. It didn't give up a sack until the fourth quarter. Um, it is really they have really just simplified and said we're going to plow the football. So we're no longer trying to see who can and cannot play. We've kind of discovered who can and who cannot play, and we're going to go with who can play. And you're going to see the young kids that are giving it their all over some of the other older kids that have all but checked out. You know who never has checked out on this show? You, my friend. Thank you for your time. I'll oh, We'll see you at Golden Corral about the uh, fire. <laughs> They're going to be eating the buffet before going out on the field. Like, just no. Just no. I, I, it's just, and you know you're a 20-year-old kid, and it's all you can eat. Oh, that's so, that's going to be You're so gonna eat bad. all you can. Oh, it's going to be so bad. It's going to be so bad. Oh, Jim, appreciate your time as always, brother. Enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy the game on Saturday, bud. All right, we'll see you. So, flying in the day of, they're not supposed to arrive in Lake Chuck until after 3 o'clock. Kick is at 7. So, They're not going to arrive until less than four hours before kickoff. They're going to squeeze in a trip to the Golden Corral to eat. Then come to the stadium, get dressed, and go through warm-ups. That is is not not a well-thought-out plan by the Eastern Illinois Athletic Department. This favors McNeese greatly. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll update the poll question of the day and we'll talk a little LSU men's basketball. They tip off the season next week. We'll hear from Coach McMahon. That's next, right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts that talk like they know everything, but you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Lafayette Marble and Granite offers the largest selection of granite, quartz, and marble in Acadiana, and they appreciate the opportunity to earn your business. As you heard me tell you so many times before, Chris and his team over at LMG, they provide more than just show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens, your bathrooms, your man caves, she sheds, and outdoor living spaces. They also now have an extensive selection of custom shower builds with their grout-free shower line. That's right. No muss, no fuss. It's a challenge to do the grouting yourself. And here's the other thing. After a couple years, the maintenance of it, oh, man, that grout can start to smell. Here's the great thing about the grout-free showers. No odor. 
Make sure to visit their website, lmgelite.com, to learn more about all the sensational services and the tremendous products that Chris and his team have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday. Visit lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com. Or stop by their soon-to-be-renovated showroom located on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford in the Jockey Lot. Lafayette, Marble, and Granite, they're looking to earn your business. And trust me, earn it, they will. Let's talk a little LSU men's basketball while we have a few minutes here on RP3 and company. McMahon has his work cut out for him. He's taking over a program that's been tarnished by the recruiting shenanigans and just let's be honest, just kind of pissy behavior of Will Wade. You look at their schedule, it's not filled with a bunch of world beaters. They are expecting to be punished. So they adjusted the schedule to reflect, hey, here's a team. We're trying to build something here. We got to build up some momentum. So we're going to play, let's be honest, we're going to play some inferior competition as we try to figure this out as Matt McMahon tries to get the program back on track and doing it the right way. And one of the things that he's doing, and he's done this since he took over, and he's done a tremendous job recruiting, by the way, is what Matt has done is bring the point home. Look, no expectations here. This is not a team we're not going to say, hey, we need to win 15 games or 20 games or 25 games. We need to do this. It's it's just simple goals for his team. I'm not sure what the expectations are or what they should be. I, I know what our goals are. And you know, while very boring, it's simply – you know, how do we build this group of talented players into the best team that we can be? And I think from that standpoint, the foundation has to be how hard you work, has to be uh, creating some buy-in uh, to the program, to the coaching staff, and, and more importantly, to each other as, as teammates. So I'm pleased with the progress there, uh, but still a long way to go. One of the guys that we're going to see a lot from that they're going to be counting on is K.J. Williams. And, of course, K.J. comes to LSU with Matt McMahon from Murray State. He was one of the best players for the Racers. And now he's going to be counted on to not only provide leadership because he played four seasons at Murray State, but he also understands what Matt McMahon wants. But he also, he's a heck of a player. And... McMahon talked about what he's seeing in KJ since he got him five years ago. Well, I think in the recruiting process, usually you identify their basketball talent first. And so first time we saw him and started the recruiting process, you saw his size, obviously at six foot ten, his skill level. As a freshman, he shot almost 70% from the floor. Uh, you've seen him expand his game over the years with his three-point shooting, uh, his ability to score with either hand in the post. Uh, but then after the basketball, once you identify the talent in the recruiting process, you start your homework on who they are as a person. He's a high-character young man. Uh, he's a great teammate. Uh, he just wants to impact winning. And for us, that's going to be critical. He's the oldest guy on the team. This is his fifth year of college basketball. Uh, so for him whether it's through leading by example or by using his voice, he has to develop into that leadership role for our team. And when you're doing a transition like this, 
having a guy like that that the coach trusts, they already have a, a relationship, they have a bond, that's going to help establish the culture that he wants to do there in Baton Rouge, right? And that's more important than anything else that happens this year. Matt establishing his culture and having a guy like that to reinforce it off the court is key. That's fundamental to the success of what LSU is going to have, not only this year, because this year is kind of a wash. Once again, it's a lost year because it's the first year of him taking over the program. What it will do, the foundation, and what it can build upon for years to come is key. Now, another key guy for LSU is not a guy that Matt previously coached. It's a Jackson, Mississippi native, Jalen Reed. He played at Southern California Academy, one of those great prep programs, basketball factories, four-star recruit, and despite everything surrounding LSU with the recruiting issues with the NCAA, Matt McMahon was able to get him to come to LSU, and he talked about what that young man brings to the roster. He's a unique player. Just being honest and upfront, I've never coached anyone quite like him for that size, 6'10", 230 pounds, uh, but very skilled player uh, off the dribble on the perimeter, very smart player, unselfish, willing passer, uh, can create for himself and for others. I, I think his biggest challenge, you know, like most freshmen, is just learning you know, the consistency you have to play with at both ends of the floor kind of the daily grind of the process that goes into it. But uh, really pleased with him. He's a great teammate. Uh, I think he's going to have opportunities to be a really special player. I like their chances. I, look, if, if they can build some chemistry and kind of come together, they could be a really good team this year. And when I say really good for them for first year, probably, you know, 17, 18 wins. With everything that they've had to deal with, I think that would be a good season. I think that should be the expectations for the LSU men's basketball team this year. First year of Matt McMahon, dealing with everything that he inherited, dealing with all the nonsense of, of Will Wade. Setting the foundation, 18 wins, I think is a good start to be able to build upon. we got to take a timeout. When we come back here on RP3 and Company, Ali Cassell, editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights, will join us. We're going to talk all things Pelicans. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Pierre the Pelican and the King Cake Baby consider him a close personal friend. And we're the three best friends that anybody could have. We're the three best friends that anyone could have. Or at least a Facebook friend or MySpace friend. Is MySpace still a thing? I wonder what Tom is up to these days. He's desperate. He'd sleep with a meat grinder. Time for some more friendly Pelicans talk on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Ali Cassell of the Bird Rights now joins us here on RP3 and Company. Ali, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Good morning, Raymond. Glad to talk to you after missing last week. And we're definitely going to be talking about some friendly Pelicans basketball, right? Yeah, that we are. So I want to have you assess the start to this season. Majority of it done without Brandon Ingram, still dealing with concussion. Zion's missed a couple games, and yet when I watch this team play, 
I see an immensely balanced offensive team where all five starters score in double figures, where they have two to three guys coming off the bench contributing, scoring in double figures, and a team that plays some salty defense. Am I completely off base in my assessment? No, I think you're completely spot on. The Pelicans are, as we thought they would be coming in this season, about 12, 13 deep. And so the losses of key guys, I mean, they went two games without Brandon, Zion, and Herb Jones. I think three of the best, uh, most important players on this team, and they went one and one. And they've largely held it together by, as you just mentioned, the offense. They have no problem scoring points because a lot of guys have taken steps forward, right? We've seen Trey Murphy. Last year, once he got his confidence, he was just really a three-point shooter, a spot-up three-point shooter. Now he's putting the ball on, on the floor, driving past guys when somebody's, you know, really closely, hotly contesting him out there on a three-point line. Najee Marshall, I mean, the last three games, he's looked like a completely different player to where now you're thinking, hey, this guy's going to be deserving of good minutes once everybody's healthy. And then just go up and down the list. Jonas Valanciunas, he's still one of the best centers in the league that don't get talked about, especially on the offensive side. CJ, he's been a blessed um, uh, arrival to this town because he's the adult in the room. He has stabilized this young rotation. They're making sure they're getting in a good, smart uh, offense, you know, especially down the stretch of games to where he's either looking for a shot or making the right play. And we saw that, right? His shot hasn't really been there all season. A couple games it wasn't. He had 22, or was it 23 assists, I believe, in, in a span of two games. So this whole team, they have fit like a glove. They're talented, and they're playing really well. And I'll tell you what, I think it's going to continue because we talked about it all summer. That chemistry, that camaraderie, I think is very key in helping a team really reach its potential. And we're seeing it early in the season. You know, we don't talk enough about Herb Jones and him not being in the lineup and how they've been able to absorb that. He's their best defender by far. How they've been able to do that defensively? Well, for one, they've got other defenders, right? Najee Marshall has taken the major uh, priority assignments last couple games, including, like, for instance, in the Dallas game, guarding Luka. I thought he did an admirable job. It's not him, though, alone. I think Trey Murphy's turned into being at least an above-average defender. I mean, there was one play. I rewatched some of the Phoenix game. Trey Murphy guarded six or had six different switches on the same possession of the Suns where he guarded every single guy on the floor that Phoenix had from the center to the point guard, and he did a great job. He ended up forcing a turnover on that play. Look, Dyson Daniels, we only saw one game, but I think we saw his potential clearly, right, in that Dallas game. He's going to be another great defender. You know what Jose Alvarado brings you. And really, for the rest of the guys that aren't known as defenders, Raymond, they're all giving effort. I see Devontae Graham, right? How many times has he tried to stop a big guy in the lane trying to either get a dunk or score a layup? I mean, I know he got called for a foul once, um, and I forget what, how the other plays resulted. But when you're seeing effort like that up and down the roster from everybody, you're going to be at least an average team defensively. I want to talk more about Trey because, look, he can shoot the ball, lights out. But as you mentioned, he, and unbeknownst to us, I, I think, he worked on his game. You can tell – he worked on his game in this offseason. I don't know who he worked with. I don't know if Teaspoon worked with him. I'm not for sure who worked with him. But he it quickly, in year number two, is starting to look like a complete all-around player. I was not prepared for that type of accelerated career path for Trey. I don't think any of us were. I honestly thought his cap and this 
league was going to be something like a three and D guy, right? Yeah. Just spread the floor on offense, just really just be a catch and shoot guy. That's kind of largely what he was in Virginia, but you know, maybe get the occasional offensive rebound because he's got athleticism, the length. And then of course, defensively using that length and foot speed on, on being a guy able to guard what two through maybe four. I think we're seeing, you know, you got to scrap that idea because he's looking a lot better. And you're right, this summer, he, along with Herb, several others, they were in the gym every single day. And I know with Trey specifically, he worked on game reps. So I saw him last year trying to work on his dribbling before games when he wasn't playing. I remember talking to you about this. Yeah. That I thought that we were going to see, once he found his confidence, we were going to see a more motivated, a better Trey. And we kind of did last year. But he took that to another level this summer. You're right, through his work. And I heard that what he did is he went around the league, or excuse me, around the U.S., playing in a bunch of pickup games. So that really sharpened his skills, right? Going against competitive, you know, five-on-five settings, that really helps a person develop that confidence to utilize it in games. I think that's what we're seeing. Zion has been really good when he's played. I think I've asked you this before, so I'll ask it again. Even when he's out, they can still win. They proved that last year down the stretch and in the play-in tournament. Obviously, they're a different team. They're a more layered team when Zion can play. For the Pels to be a top three seed in the West, which I think is absolutely in their grasp, how many games does the big fella need to play? I think you want to see, what, about 65 from he and Brandon Ingram. I think if you can do that, yeah, you're not going to have to rely on all the other guys that have good games and their absences. And look, chemistry is a big thing on the, on the court chemistry, right? So you don't want Willie Green having to change up his rotation starting lineup, playing with people's roles too much, even though, like, we've noticed this team's talent and they can do more when asked. But I don't know if you can do it over an 82-game season, right, where you start wearing down mentally, physically. So Zion, yeah, he's that lightning bolt in a barrel. Um, look at what he's just done this year, right? He's second on the team in rebounds per game. Second, or actually, I think he's first in steals. So not only is he scoring the ball, and we saw some point Zion in that last win against the Clippers, it's, it's everything else that he's doing. I think that's what we want to see, right? We want to see those near triple doubles because this team's so talented. You don't need to score 30 points, big fella, and B.I. like we did under Stan Van Gundy. No, try and do a little bit of everything, and, of course, that all helps to win, right? So you want to see these guys healthy, and if they can do that, I think you're right. Top three, top four in the West hosting the first-round playing series, it almost feels like there's a 50-50 chance of it happening. We're talking with Ali Cassell, editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights. He joins us here in RP3 and Company. You know, we focus so much on Zion because he's the star, and B.I. is an all-star, and Trey Murphy's coming around, and Herb Jones has developed quickly into a great two-way player. But for me, I think the fortunes of this franchise, the trajectory changed when they traded for C.J. McCollum. I think we don't talk enough about that, about his veteran leadership. They were desperately searching for a vet to provide that. He can still ball out. He understands when to be selfish. He understands when not to be selfish. He's not bombastic, but he challenges his guys. That trade, more than anything for me, Ollie, is the thing that's changed the fortunes of this franchise because they got a guy who understands exactly what they want to do how they do it, and he knows how to motivate his guys, and he knows what to do in pressure situations. I think that is the biggest move they've made in years. Hands down. 
best trade last year, especially at the deadline, I think, that hasn't been given, you know, the adulation, the accolade that it deserves. Because C.J. McCollum, he's a whole lot of things. And guess what? The Pelicans needed every single one of those ingredients. <laughs> yes, every single one. Yes. Think about it. They didn't have a point guard, right? I know Lonzo Ball was fun, but look, they didn't have stability at position. That's why we were always talking about look, they need – big trade or figure out a way to get a legitimate veteran point guard on this team for those important possessions. And when say they're, you know, getting no points for a three, four minute stretch or closing out games, you need a guy, a guy like CJ, that's going to get the offense um, rolling by either looking for a shot, which he can do. He's got a deep bag and score from anywhere. He knows the spots on the floor or find a teammate. Cause he honestly is that good of a passer. I think. We didn't see it in Portland enough because he was, of course, that that skill set was hidden by Damian Lillard always having the ball. But then it's the off the court stuff, and you just talked him up about it. But I'll just add to it that we we see his professionalism and how it translates, and how everybody on this seemingly on this roster is taking notice and kind of you know following in his footsteps. When he first got here, you know there was a lot of talk about Zion. I want to be here, and I think there was partly true because the Pelicans were not a winning team. They didn't, you know, Zion's family didn't know what it was, but they didn't see what they thought they were coming into um, from, you know, Duke. CJ kind of really brought everybody together on the same page. But more importantly, he set Zion aside. He was going to dinners with him, sitting with him on the bench during games, talking to him constantly in his ear. And I think we've seen that change in Zion, right? Now he's eating right, talking right. I mean, everything he's doing, his body, you know, honestly speaks for itself. And then just last yesterday, he went on uh, NBA Today Show on ESPN. He brought Trey Murphy with him. I think he's doing certain things for everybody on this roster to where he's helping them either grow, mature, just showing them the right things that you probably couldn't have gotten out of, say, a J.J. Redick or somebody like that. It has to be a guy that's one of the best players on the team for others to, I think, truly follow, right, take their advice. And that's exactly what C.J. is. So that's why I said he's the total package, and they needed everything that he's got. The also, the key is he has to be unselfish. And that's part of it because CJ knows when to adjust in the game. He doesn't need the ball. He doesn't need to score. He understands the, the rhythm and the flow of a game, Ollie, where he goes, okay, well, Zion's feeling it right now, or BI's feeling it, or Jonas is feeling it. I'm just going to set them up. Like, you need that guy, and Willie needed that guy on the court that because you can tell right off the bat that Willie trusted CJ and vice versa. And that makes all the difference in the world as well. Yeah, it absolutely does. Right. They always say um, a good point guard is an extension of his head coach. And then mm -hmm. when both are on the same page, usually good things happen. And I'll tell you what, CJ is not even hitting from 30% from three point range, but yet guess who's got the best plus minus on the team. It's CJ McCollum. So you're absolutely right. We're seeing it in the stats just watching games right through the eye test, what he's brought and what he's doing every single, you know, night in, night out for this team. And that's what's translating to wins. That's another reason why they've been able to, you know, absorb those injuries to the key guys. They're so deep, you know, they, they, they really do have everything um, that's kind of required to have on a good team. I all checked off. CJ does a lot by himself, but I'll tell you what, this team, Raymond, just feels different, right? It feels special. So you have a guy like CJ, but you know none of this would work as well as it does because 
they have every single other position kind of checked off, right? You got your superstars, you got your shooting guards, your your, your long forwards, um, you've got your centers. They've got everything that we've never seen in the past, and they're deep at every position. So while we could keep talking about CJ, I think it's everything David Griffin's done, right, to bring in right the right coaching staff, the right veterans, the young talent, the improving young talent that's going to be really good, and they all play together, right? It's this whole big, um, and I keep using the word ingredients, but they've got the perfect ingredients for the perfect cake, it feels like, and we're seeing it grow before our eyes. Man said cake. Could have said gumbo. He's in New Orleans. I'll allow it. It's fine. You know, it was what? Halloween yesterday, man. Everybody's <laughs> thinking about sugar. <laughs> uh, quickly, Ollie. Uh, they play the Lakers tomorrow. The Lakers are an absolute dumpster fire, which benefits the Pelicans because they get their pick next year, which could be a top three or top five pick. Believe it or not, it's crazy Fantastic. to, to, to say that. Um, do you like them to defeat their second straight LA team? I do, and I'm so glad the Lakers beat Denver because otherwise you know how motivated they would be to beat the Pelicans. We saw how amped up they would get last year, right? Coming down the stretch, LeBron doesn't play for, you know, X amount of games, same thing with AD. But when the Pelicans came to town or they came here to New Orleans, both of those guys played. And you saw how much they really wanted to win, which has been a staple, right? Ever since AD landed in L.A., LeBron, Anthony Davis have always made a point of, you know, getting up for and beating New Orleans. Some of that, I think, is going to be uh, missing because, like I said, they, they're coming off that first win, so they kind of feel good. That super desperation mode, I don't think is going to be there. So that's going to help. But on top of that, the Pelicans are just a much better team. So I do expect them to beat them. By how many, I don't know. But, again, we saw the Pels. They're really good almost every time out, right? Outside of maybe that first half against the Jazz, Effort's not been a question. So if they play, you know, with that 110% effort, I don't see how the Lakers win unless they're crazy hot, right? They get crazy hot shooting the ball from deep or something like that. Ollie, appreciate your time as always, brother. Enjoy your week, bud. We'll talk to you next Tuesday. Absolutely, Raymond. Take care, buddy. We got to take our final time out of today's show. We'll finalize the poll question of the day. That's all next right here. On the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Uh, final results of the poll question of the day. Who gets an advantage from the World Series being delayed a day? Once again, Game 3 will be tonight. Astro launch 6.30, first pitch 7.03 as the Astros take on the Phillies in the World Series. Winning the vote, the Phillies, 36% of the vote goes to the Phillies. 34% goes to the Astros. 28% says neither. Only 2% say both. So thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day and left their comments on Facebook and Twitter. want to take a moment to thank our guest, Brett Chancey from the Locked On Astros podcast. He's optimistic that the shows are going to take care of business, maybe in five or six games. Coach Dez, Louisiana Raging Cajuns. They'll take on Troy on Saturday. Jim Gazzolo from the Lake Charles American Press covering McNeese. And then Ollie Cassell from the Bird Rights. That's going to do it for us. For the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names, I'm Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.